One of the things uh, since COVID that my family has uh, inherited in a couple ways, some new additions to our family. The first one is a cute little puppy named Odin. Now, Odin is the, God, the father of Thor, so you think it's like this big bulldog. Nope, it's a little toy poodle, nice and cute. Not only did we inherit Odin, but we also inherited um, chickens. So we now are pretty much own our farmers um, from the get-go. But we've got their whole side of the yard all situated, built a fence, built a coop, all that stuff. And I was really looking forward to getting these chickens because these chickens produce unbelievable eggs. Like, compared to store-bought eggs, like, home eggs are, like, way, way better. Love it. What no one told me, though, is that getting eggs also unintentionally, you start to inherit mice as well. So come to find out, mice like chicken coops. If you didn't know, now you know. So I remember the first time I saw a mouse, rat, let's call it a rat. I was going mice, but we'll embellish it just a little bit. I remember seeing that first time seeing a mouse. They, we were sitting in the house and they were all going in the chicken coop to eat all the food and all that stuff. And I had this like, <gasps> like take your breath away moment where you were like, you, it's almost that moment, I'll, I'll label this, uh, that feeling as fear, okay? Like you sense a little bit of danger, although my life was not in danger at all, right? It's a little itty bitty mouse, but something in me just kind of sparked and it was uh, like helping me be aware of danger. So that, that emotion fear is actually a, a gift, okay? There's a good way to look at fear. This, the, the, the beginning of wisdom is what? Fear of the Lord. So that's a good thing because that fear, that little spark of emotion is an invitation to wisdom. It's a, an, an opportunity for me to now make a decision based on faith and wisdom, but it also reveals a need that I need refuge. That, that moment of fear, not necessarily just mice, but in general, that I need refuge. I, I need help from danger. Now, there's also a negative way to go with fear, and that happened a few years ago. We were um, living in Fircrest at the time, and I was uh, going out to grill some food. So I go out to get the grill going. I open it up, and in my memory, this was not a mouse. This was not even a rat. This was like a New York City vault-like big, big tail, thick. It probably was this big, but my memory remembers it as massive. And so at that moment, I was not functioning in wise fear. I was terrified. And so I jumped back, threw the, the lid closed, screamed the most manliest scream that I possibly could, which is not a truth, but I'm just going to confess it right now. So, I, but because I was, I was more terror. Now, there was danger, but I, I went the other way. I didn't go towards wisdom. I didn't go towards figuring out what the right way is. I went to the way, a way that was looking to, in many cases, be in control, anxious. And as Jeff Schulte and Chip Dodd say, that unhealthy word, I'll use terror, leads us ultimately to rage, to flight to running away, where we're overwhelmed and we're no longer acting in line with what we know to be true, okay? 
So how do we, as disciples, not just deal with mice, but how do we as disciples, be, are, are we nourished by Jesus in a culture that all it does is wants to remind you of all the things to be fearful of and terrorized by? When you flip on the news and all it is, is be scared of this. Be fearful of that. You know those people over there? Be fearful of them. Be terrorized by. How can we as disciples be nourished by him? Choose the path of wisdom in the midst of that fear rather than the path of terror that leads us to rage. We have been in the middle of this nourish series for a couple weeks now. And along with the packet that we just walked through, but wanting to ask the question, like, how can we as disciples really be filled, nourished by Jesus himself? So a couple weeks ago, we looked at how do we do that in a season of busyness? When we're busy, our hearts, our lives, everything's uh, picking up pace. How can we actually slow down and experience him? Last week, we talked about um, how do we, um, are we nourished in disappointment when things don't go our way? We talked about rejoicing. We talked about experiencing him that way. And so today, we're going to look at another barrier to us abiding and nourishing in Jesus. And that barrier is the barrier of fear. And to do this, we must receive his love, walk out his commandments, and as a result, experience his joy to combat the internal and external fears of our day. So let's open that up uh, passage, starting in verse 9. Let's look at this. And I want you to think about it in terms of fear. How do we, how are we nourished? Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Last couple of weeks we've been seeing this abide language. We've been noticing that it in other translations it's the word remain, to stay. As we looked at the booklet this week, we saw in the paraphrase, uh, the message paraphrase, that another way to help us understand it is to make our home in. So this passage is telling us to make our home in God's love, the love that the Father has had with the Son from eternity past, because Jesus is not a created being. He added to his divine nature, humanity, um, during what we celebrate as Advent, during his incarnation. So we are to make our home in his love. So we are to receive his love. If we're to be in a, um, nourished in a season of fear, we always consistently, regularly must go back to his love. In <clears throat> excuse me, a parallel passage in the epistles, John says this in 1 John 4.18. He says, there is no what? Fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. We go to fear when we think of love because John goes to fear when he thinks of love. So if you're looking at making your home somewhere, fear and love cannot live in the same home. Or let me rephrase that and make it even more particular. Fear and love can't be in the same room. Somebody's going to have to win that room. The whole home, our hearts, could be and can be dedicated to Jesus, but there may be parts of it where love is not winning the day. 
Fear is winning the day. We need to receive his love. Now, this week, um, have you ever been at uh, work and all of a sudden, like something that you've done hundreds of times and you're in a little bit of a routine, but all of a sudden you find it like really, really hard? Where it's like, oh, like, like I'm slugging along. You just can't really get into it. When it came to this sermon this week, that was for me. Like, for, for me to, like, I knew where I was going. Okay, I see the three passages. I see the point. Like, blah, fear. Okay, boom, done. Like, I get the outline. Start. Makes sense to me. But for some reason, like, it, it was like a, it was a labor this week. Where it was like, I was fighting upstream for it. And so I woke up this morning. I was like, God, what are you doing? Like, what? Like, this, this shouldn't be that hard. I've done this hundreds of times. What's going on? Then, so I'm like, okay. Wake up adjust some things, and I'm like, I'm, I'm still, like, feeling anxious about it. So I go for a walk, and I'm like, just go out there, and I start praying, like, God, what's going on right now? Like, why is this such a labor? This shouldn't be that hard. I'm talking to people that love me, that I love, that, that want to know about Jesus. Like, what is going on? And so as I pause to just reflect for a little bit, I started to um, experience these little fears start to bubble up. Like, what if this just goes right over their heads? These, and this is all internal. No one said anything. These, there's no external things happening right now. But internally, this is all happening. What, like, okay, but what if they don't get it? What if, like, all, and you see all the what-ifs that start happening? What if they don't like this? What if I fail at this? What if, and this is a big one for me, what if this has been a colossal waste of time? I put all my time, all my energy into this, and all of a sudden it bears no fruit. Nothing happens, nothing changes, nothing as a result. Does that mean I'm a failure? What? Okay, then, uh, then the fear of the future happens. Okay, if I can't even do this, what's my future even look like? You see how fear started to just bubble up inside. So at that moment I had a choice. Was I going to... Let fear take over and be terrorized by the potential of what could happen. Or was I going to allow that to be a healthy fear which led me to Jesus himself? There was a decision I had to make. It was a moment that was in there. Now, thankfully, the Spirit helped me here. Because I was like, okay, God, I can't do this. Like, I, I need you. I need you to show up here. I, the, the, a lot of what I'm praying for, asking for, working towards is up to you anyways. So, God, I, I just give this to you. Would you help me? Would you be my refuge? Would you be the strength in time of need? All of us have those areas of internal fears. It may be fears of the future. It may be fears of being accepted. It may be fears of what happens next. It, what, it may be fears of something happening to your family. I, there's a lot of those internal things that no one's put on you, but they just bubble up in your life. In the midst of those, we have the opportunity to either receive his love, uh, make our, our home in his love, be reminded that the Father loves the Son and the Son loves me. It's one of the reasons why we need to gather regularly so as we can be reminded of that. It's because that's how we receive it, by being reminded of it. But also put myself in a place like, God, I, I can't do this. This is you. You need to figure this out. 
and I need you in this moment. Would you comfort me? Would you be my refuge? Would you be my strength? And so that's where the nourish, why we focused where we have in the nourish book. If you're like, like okay, are we going to move past God's love yet? Like, if you've been doing it every day, like, okay, I'm like, yeah, God loves me, check. God loves me, check. Like, yeah, I've heard God tell me he loves me, check. Like, are we going to move past that? And brothers and sisters, we can't move past that. That's what we build everything off of. We have to receive and remember his love. Because in this beginning of this passage, it tells us abide in his love. But then the question is this. What does that actually look like? What does abiding love look like? Is it just everybody sitting like in tranquil state, just hearing the voice of God? Is that all love looks like? Is love like sitting around in a circle singing kumbaya as a, a community? Like what is that actually be? What is that actually like? And verse 10 tells us what it looks like to receive his love and what we do as a result. Verse 10. Let's read that together. If you abide, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Abiding in love is not a passive experience only, but it ultimately leads to an active life. To walk in his love is to walk it out in our life. To abide in love is to obey in life. So if we receive love, then as we receive love, we're to walk out his commandments. The question is, where do we walk it out? Where do we do that? Do we do it just here? When the church is gathered together, that's when I obey his commandments. Do we only obey in certain times and in certain places? Or is there a bigger context for walking out his commandments? John 17 says this. So John 17, at the end of this meal, John, uh, Jesus is about to be crucified the next day. He's finishing up this very meal where he's washed his disciples' feet. He's taught on the Holy Spirit. He's in the middle of this passage. This is what it says in, in chapter 17. And this is Jesus talking to God. He says, but now I'm coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. It's really easy to obey Jesus when everybody else around you is obeying Jesus. But what happens when not everybody else is? How do we walk out his commands in a culture that is reminding us that we as Christians are a little bit different? One area that of fear that I've heard many people do is how do we walk out his commands in a culture that we currently live in, in the world? And when you hear John use the term world, he's thinking of sinful systems. He's not talking about physical earth. There's a different word for that. Really important to understand. But So how do we do that in the midst of the sinful systems? I'm going to land this really in federal way. In the last five to ten years, there's been a lot of change. And when things change in the city of federal way, northeast Tacoma, the change tends to bring on perceptions of danger. I grew up here in, I mean, I, I moved here in 1990. 
long, long time ago, before some of you were even born or thought of. Moved here in 1990. Across the, the apartment complex, across from Winco, moved in there, started going to Panther Lake Elementary, and we would walk there with my seven-year-old brother. Okay? Imagine, first of all, seeing a five-year-old and a seven-year-old walk to school by themselves. Probably get CPS called them nowadays. Okay? Different day and age. But I, in Federal Way, I grew here, there was a um, general understanding of what morality was like, right? This is just the way. Oh, oh well. I'll say morality was kind of downstream. As a Christian, I, so I was not saved as a Christian, but when I got, God saved me in middle school, it was, it was a little weird to become a Christian, but the general ethos of the time was like, hey, this is just kind of how we live as a society, right? Definition of marriage, understanding of gender, like what you do and don't do. There's such a general understanding. Not the same, but it was downstream. It was a little bit easy. So much so that when I was in high school, quick example, when I was in high school, I was an ASB representative for in school leadership. We had a, a club that tried to be part of our ASB that was called the Gay Straight Alliance. And they were um, overwhelmingly denied being part of ASB by my peers at school. Okay, that was only, that was less than 20 years ago. Rather than morality being downstream, right, what's happening now, in my opinion, is that a lot of the morality coming at us in our society is actually the stream direction has changed. It's no longer kind of easy to walk a lot of this stuff out. It's, it's going against the flow of how everybody else does it. So it's, it's coming at me. I'm, it's a little bit harder to walk out his commandments in the world. And that can be very, very terrifying. Especially if you're so used to living in a society where you're kind of walking downstream and you're kind of going with the flow and there's a general Judeo-Christian ethic and moral system, it's a little bit easier. But when all of a sudden you're in a society where that's no longer the dominant case, it's now coming at you. Same moment I had today. What do we decide to do in that? Do we choose terror? Because one way to choose terror is to not walk out his commands and just kind of walk with the flow of how things go. Yeah, God loves me. God accepts me. Great. But I'm not going to walk out his commands. That's too much to ask of me. That, that's too dangerous. That, that would, that's terrible. I don't, I don't want to lose whatever I could lose there. I don't know what that looks like for you. Or can we say, yeah, actually, this is the place that God has called me to. We're no longer a place that's only for comfort. You have to be called to live here. We have to be an understanding that there's something significant about living in this area. And it is upstream in a different secular moral society. So is that to produce fear? No, that's just to name it. The question is, how do we do, what do we do with that? Do we choose to say, you know what, as for me and my house, as Joshua said, we're going to serve the Lord. We're still going to obey. We're still going to do this. Even when this external levels of fear are telling me that if I do that, I'm going to face punishment. We have a decision to make. To walk in his commands is to walk in his love. So will we walk out his love by 
being faithful in this moment, in this day. And then verse 11, I'll, we'll close with this. As a result, what happens? This is what it says in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. When you receive his love, when you walk out his commands, Jesus is very clear about what happens. These things I say to you, what happens? You get to experience joy. Not some artificial, um, cheap like joy of the things that this, others have to offer. You get the joy from him himself. And so, I'm going to close with this quick story. Uh, some friends of ours uh, were sending missionaries that had planted churches in Afghanistan recently. And so this is the, their post that they put out recently. It says this, We received news that the underground church in Kabul, Afghanistan has been martyred. Our friends have been in contact and met together last night in deep prayer. The last word she spoke was, and I quote, We feel your prayers because this supernatural boldness came over us. And we were singing in the spirit. Even the kids said, Mom, we will not deny Jesus. As they were on the phone, they heard the screaming and gunshots. God is so powerful. They went to be with the creator, filled with joy. Do I think we're there? No. Do I think we're heading there? Here? No, I don't. But I think we can learn something from our brothers and sisters that have been in persecution. Because they understand when you receive God's love, when you put yourself in a place, I mean, talk about external fears coming out them. And what did they choose to do? They still received God's love. This boldness came over them. They obeyed his commandments. And as a result, they got to experience his joy. Was an experiencing of the joy as they were able to continue in life? No, they got to experience the joy in the presence of Jesus himself. We have the opportunities to experience his joy in the midst of right now. We have the invitation every time we feel danger, every time we feel moments of fear, to either bring that to God who is our refuge or to go away from him. When we go towards him, we can receive his love. It empowers us to walk out in obedience so that we can experience his joy. And as we go into communion, it's a recognition that Jesus has done these three things perfectly when you and I don't. Jesus did receive the Father's love. Jesus did obey perfectly. And that the beauty is that you and I are not able to, and we have not obeyed perfectly. But this is what Hebrews 12, verse 2 says. Um, he's looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He went through what we're about to remind one another because of the joy of being reunited and united deeply with you and me. He ha is experiencing joy when we are and as we grow and abide in him. Jesus was loved by the Father. He did perfectly obey. And now, 
for the joy that was set before him, he endured what we remember today. That his body was broken, that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, the new covenant in his blood. Um, This is what the Heidelberg Catechism says. It says he wants to teach us that just just as bread and wine nourish the temporal life, so too his crucified body and poured out blood are the true food and drink of our souls for eternal life.